Our weekend is on cross. Christian's resources on spouse selection. We looked at God's purpose in marriage this morning. And uh, tonight we want to look at God's ideal in courtship. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock we are going to look at the essentials of happiness. And um, that is the two rules that God gives in the Bible on how you can predict the future. And um, I want to share that with you. You can determine if you're going to have a happy marriage. Um, Then our closing will be key questions in courtship. Key questions. Now, at that time, we'll also make available a free workbook syllabus, the uh, revised edition of a syllabus we prepared for a seminar last year. This seminar is completely different from last year, but builds on that. And this information here details um, experience and examination of uh, yourself and and, uh, judicious counsel and then the courtship process. We're going to look at one topic we didn't get to last year, which is questions. And uh, we'll see how many questions we can cover in, uh, in that. But that will be available. I believe the Student Association of Loma Linda University has made that available for those who are here for that um, study time. And then if we have any time, perhaps a time for questions. Um, and before we look at the um, Just make sure I have everything working. Okay. Yes, it's working. You know, there are many people that want shortcuts, quick fixes, easy answers to difficult questions. Just look at the Internet if you want to find flourishing scams. There are vitamin pills that can give painless nutrition with a junk food diet. Um, You can party through nursing school but get a 99 percentile on the National Council Licensure Examination, the NCLEX. You can lose weight and eat more fat. Don't worry about poison ivy or cure cystic acne or cure cancer. You name it, there is someone claiming an easy solution for price on the internet. And you know there are books and seminars for how to find the quality mate of your dreams. The perfect match. Well this weekend I can't offer you any phonemes guaranteed to attract Mr. or Ms. Wright to your doorstep. The Bible doesn't contain any cookie 
cutter instant formulas for happiness. And if you look at the courtships of the Bible, you find everyone is different. From the instant courtship of Adam, who was one, year, one day old, to the uh, courtships of the um, distressed Benjamites, who couldn't get wives unless they seized some dancing girls at Shiloh, to Daniel, who had no courtship, he was a eunuch. Um, you look at all of these stories of the Bible, and you can you name one that was the same. And God has a unique story for you. It won't fit somebody else's story because he wants it for you to be able to share to an interested crowd on various planets. And you can tell the story of how God led you, different from anyone else's. But there are principles in the Bible that ensure safe guidance for choice of an occupation in direction in courtship in guidance in life. These topics and principles are much bigger than a weekend seminar. You can't even teach acne and how to treat it in a weekend seminar, let alone the spouse of uh, your dreams. But we can touch on some important principles and introduce the topic. But before we do, we need to have some divine help. And let's just bow our heads again for a word of prayer. Lord, we need more than human effort. We need the angels here. We need even more than, than angelic effort. We need divine power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we'll say it wrong or we'll hear it wrong. And we'll get it wrong. And our time together, instead of being valuable, will be worse than wasted. I pray that you will give no unstinted outpouring of your spirit. You've said that you're going to be where Jesus is to be revealed and your word is to be spoken and that you'd be with us until the very end. And so though we're at the very end, your promise is still in effect. And I pray that you will fulfill it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I'm getting a little ring. Are you? Is there something I need to do? A position I need to change? Or if I back up a little bit? Let's see. Is that better? Okay. Well, that was the slide for our prayer. Can you imagine traveling without maps or compass or even a guide? Perhaps you have read of John Powell's classic exploration of the Colorado River in 1869. This scientific expedition was forced to survive famine, attacks, mutiny, 
in some of the most dangerous rapids known to man, all without knowing what was going to be around the next corner. They didn't know, uh, would there be a waterfall? Would there be rapids? After many days of constant peril, one of the crew members declared that he had had enough. He wouldn't continue the journey. He wanted to get home alive. So he climbed out of the boat and left for safety. Um, he was never heard from again. Meanwhile, the exploring party reached their destination safely the next day. It's hard to travel without knowledge of what's ahead. Yet for many, this is their life. They have no idea where they're going. They're just drifting along. They have no particular direction in life, no knowledge of the future, no insight into the possible hazards facing them. They have no guide. In the trackless wilderness of life, surrounded by perils, nets, traps, landmines, and beset by a thousand other perils, we need to follow a trustworthy, experienced guide, one who has traveled the trail and knows what is ahead. Of all the times of life, the period of courtship, the period when we're dating, the period when we're making decisions about a future life's partner should make us feel our great need and cause us to cry out to God, exclaiming, lead me, guide me, as David did, Psalm 31.3. And if we do this, we can hear him reply, follow me. Follow, and I will guide My clicker's not working again. God designs that beginning with our youth, continuing through manhood and age, there will never be a step that we do not have his guidance. As God told Jeremiah, wilt thou not cry from this time, that is, this time forward, my father, thou art the guide of my youth. And not only in this life here, but we have the opportunity to follow Christ forever. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, and that's in eternity. Life is not principally made up of great leaps, but many small steps. Insignificant, but cumulative, very large. And guidance is not simply for the big decisions, the big leaps but it must be had in the myriad small decisions. Solomon noted that the prudent considers well his steps. We don't just consider, we must consider well our tiny steps in the direction we're going. That is, if we're prudent, if we're wise. Where are my steps taking me? Where will this take me in 10 years? Is that where I want to be? It is the prudent who daily ponder their steps during the period of courtship. And the Bible tells us that we can receive God's direction in our courtship, Proverbs 3, 6. God shall direct our paths. This is a promise. But the directions to this promise are given just before this promise. Let's notice Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. In matters that concern the heart, what should we do? Trust. 
trust in the Lord. And then he'll direct our paths. You don't have to wonder if he will. You don't have to be like the 850 prophets of Baal, leaping around, crying out, cutting yourself. God, guide me. Hear me. Where are you? You can with um, Elijah trust that he will be faithful to his promise. But we mustn't lean to our own understanding. That is, we trust him, not ourselves. Isaac, 40 years old, must have wondered how God was going to provide a wife for him. His father, Abraham, kept shaking his head no for any of the local eligible girls that he would introduce. But trusting to God, not leaning to his own understanding, he continued to be faithful and single in the work there at home. And he was in his daily pray, place of meditation and prayer the day Rebecca arrived. Rebecca may have been tempted to think she'd never find Mr. Wright while she stayed in Mesopotamia. She was a beautiful girl, and many local young men would have loved to have gotten better acquainted, but she had some tough parents too. They didn't see any that was quite the right one. But content to trust God instead of leaning on her own understanding, content to trust God instead of limiting to her understanding, which was based on her vision, what she could see, she continued to be faithful in her home tasks. And God proved she could trust him. There's nothing in her understanding that could have, could have predicted Eliezer's sudden appearance and that in a day she would be journeying to meet her husband. By methods peculiarly his own, God brought that couple together. Israel was at the Red Sea. The rocky cliffs were on either side. The Red Sea was in front of them, and behind them was the army of Egypt, bent on their destruction. If they trusted to their own understanding, they had only one way of escape, and that's to put up white flags and surrender. But they didn't lean to their own understanding. And they march through dry ground. God delights in giving us the opportunity to trust him where there is no solution for our understanding. Rachel was 16 years old. She had just started college. My wife and I looked into one of our universities, and Rachel had gone there for an interview. But the Adventist University did not really welcome her. She was 16. She was homeschooled. And that door seemed close. Down the street from us was the local state university. They offered her scholarship. We feared the dangers she would be exposed, but after earnest prayer, we sent her as a missionary to Wichita State University. We had people that came and talked to us, my wife and I, and they said, you know, Rachel will never be able to be married. 
she's not going to find a husband. This is not the place she should be. Well, we agreed that wasn't the place for a husband. But it was the place that God was sending her as a missionary. We refused to lean to our own understanding and we trusted the Lord with complete confidence. We knew that if she was at the right place and she was faithful in the right place, God would take care of all the rest, get her where she needed to be, or make her happily single. That's okay, too. Um, At the age of 16, we refused to worry about it. The next year, she continued being a missionary there and the Lord sent a task force worker from... Southern University. He came to work with Pastor Don McIntosh in our our church. His name was Eric Nelson. As a result of Rachel and Eric's work on campus, not as a couple, not in courtship, he would have been sent home if there was courtship, (laughs) Curtis Farnham, Curtis, there, became a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, now a student here, worker for the Lord. Uh, And out of that experience, the Mills and the Nelson family became good friends, took vacations together. And God took care of Rachel, good care of Rachel. He gave her a better husband than my wife and I could have possibly imagined. Just the man she needed at the time she needed him. Our understanding is so limited. There's no reason to lean to our own understanding. We can't see the future, but we can trust Him completely. And if we're faithful in the task that lies at hand, not murmuring, not complaining, He will direct us. He will guide us. You see, it says... In all thy ways acknowledge him. So the first, we trust in the Lord. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust what we see. But the next step is to acknowledge him that all the circumstances that we are in, every circumstance of life, his overruling providence has arranged. And we can rely on his directions in everything we do. Acknowledging his wisdom, his power in everything, he directs us. We are not trying to get him to okay our plans. We are seeking to follow his. He's the leader. We are not. And when we do this, what does it say? He will what? Direct our paths. It's not that he might direct our paths. He will. Following Jesus in the path of life means following Jesus in the small decisions of life. Letting him guide in who our friends are. Letting him guide in how we spend our spare time. Letting him guide in our daily habits. Letting him guide in what clothes we buy. Letting him guide in how we dress. Letting him guide in what we eat, what we read, how much we eat, when we eat. Letting him guide in our recreation. And in any one of these small decisions... Cumulatively, these are large steps. And they determine who we are, what we like, who we like, and who will like us. These small decisions determine whether Jesus is Lord or whether we are boss of our life. And he that is faithful in little is faithful in much, but he that is unfaithful in little is unfaithful in much. David prayed, order my steps in thy word. 
And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Psalm 119, 133. Each small step in life in general, as well as courtship in particular, will either be directed by God's Word or some sin will direct our paths away from God's Word. That's our choices. Order my steps in Thy Word. If we pray this prayer twice a day when we're not dating, we should pray it four times a day when we're dating. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Jesus gives us directions. He'll go before us, and Peter advises us to follow in his steps. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Follow me. That desire, if anyone desires to follow me, that desire is God-given. That desire is God's call. God implants in every life the desire to follow Jesus. I, if I be lifted up, will what? Draw all men unto me. He plants in our hearts the desire for something better. And if anyone, anyone, desires to follow Jesus in dating and courtship, don't think it's out of your reach. It's not. You can follow Jesus during this period of your life. Don't think that your situation is too far gone for you to follow Jesus. Wherever you are, just now, you can begin to follow him from where you are. He'll come down to where you are so you can follow him from there. You may have made some mistakes in your past relationships, but if you desire to follow Jesus, you can. You may have broken some barriers that should not have been broken, but if you desire to come after Jesus, you can. You don't have to find Him. He's found you. It's not impossibly hard to follow Jesus. It's not only possible, but it's positively pleasant. His yoke is easy. Notice how this is possible. It doesn't begin with our will, but it begins with our desire. If anyone desires to come after me. How do we desire? We look at Him. I, if I be lifted up, as we mentioned. When our eyes are finally captured by the cross of Christ, we are drawn to Him. As we look to Him, following Him, becoming like Him, becoming more like Him becomes our highest desire, our strongest motive. We would rather follow Jesus than have even our own way. We follow Jesus at the crossroads of life. He's going one way, and we may want to go another way, but we follow him. We can never follow him without looking at him, meditating on him, or, or we'll lose him. As we see him lifted up, the desire to follow him grows greater and overcomes our inclination, our selfish desires, our habits, our passions. Now, why are we spending time on this here in, in a session on courtship? Because, you see, courtship is at a crossroads of life when you're dating. And we want to follow him at the crossroads. Since this instruction, it says, if anyone um, follows me, let's treat this like we would an algebra equation. Anyone is the set. Let X be someone dating. So we could substitute for X if someone dating desires to come after me. Can't we? 
Let him follow Jesus. Do you desire to follow Christ throughout your courtship? Do it. You can. Let is the word God uses for creative processes. When he created the world, he prefaced his executive commands with the word what? Let. Let there be light. Let there be a firmament. Let the earth bring forth grass. If anyone desires to come after me, let him. That is the creative word of the creative God. The infinite has issued a command that must be obeyed throughout the universe. Satan can't stop God's commands. Nothing can stop God's commands except your own choice. If your highest desire is to follow Christ, wherever he goes, your desire can be fulfilled. We should plead for this desire. Say, Lord, put within me a desire to follow you. Because if anyone desires to follow me, let him. How do we follow Jesus? What does this practically mean day by day? Well, Luke 9.23 goes on, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, what? Deny himself and follow me. Many people have a weak desire to follow Jesus. They desire to have a courtship that heaven approves, but they never go beyond the desire phase. They never surrender to that desire. They never come to the place that they place a surrender and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And then do it. And if anyone desires to follow Christ throughout courtship and marriage, let him deny himself. That is, place your will under the will of God, the control of God. Let him be boss, not you. You can't follow Jesus and follow yourself. You can't serve two masters. If anyone desires to come after me, let him get a new boss. A boss that won't stop you from following me. Until he is boss, I won't be able to deny myself. It's impossible. Now, it should be easy to deny myself. It should be the simplest thing in the world, but it's not. Why should I deny myself? Because I'm the worst enemy I have. The biggest problems in my life have never come from somebody else. You know where they've come? Me. I will do everything to please this cruel tyrant of self. It's stupid. When Christ says, if you desire to come after me, I will free you from the bondage to yourself. I will give you the power to deny yourself, deny your own cravings and impulses. With Christ as the boss, the self-denial that was impossible for me to do, self-denial now becomes my delight and my sacrifice of pleasure. Surrendering the decision that no longer will it be my way, it's now his way, is the first step in following Jesus in anything. Denying ourselves is the secret of being like Jesus. Jesus gave us the example. He said, not my will, but what? Thine be done. If we're going to follow him or be like him, what are we going to do? Not my will, but thine be done. That was his theme song. It wasn't just the closing verse. From childhood to adulthood, every day of Jesus' life, you know what he said? Not my will, 
but thine be done. And as he got older, as he entered adolescence, as he reached his 20s and into his late 20s, he didn't become independent of his father's will. He continued to deny himself to the end of his life. Following Jesus, you see, involves feeling. That is desire. If any man, desire. But notice it doesn't stop with feeling. It moves from desire to choice. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We have two choices in courtship. We can indulge ourselves or we can deny ourselves. To indulge ourselves is what Satan urges us to do. That's what the world says will bring you happiness. And God's plan is exactly opposite for happiness. He says, deny yourself if you want to be happy. Denying yourself before courtship, establishing self-denial as a part of the character early in life, the earlier the better, is essential for good courtships and for happy marriages. Notice what God has designed to prepare us for marriage. Patriarchs and Prophets 175. It is by faithfulness to duty in the parental home that the youth are to prepare themselves for homes of their own. Let them here do what? Practice. Do what? Self-denial. You get better at it with practice. It's like playing the piano. Self-denial is something that must be practiced and it is designed to prepare us for homes of our own. Let them, in their parental home, practice self-denial. And that's manifested by kindness, courtesy, and Christian sympathy. Thus love will be kept warm in the heart, and he who goes out from such a household to stand at the head of a family of his own will know how to promote the happiness of her whom he has chosen as a companion for life. Now, I was talking to a young person about uh, that I was going to be sharing about self-denial as an essential part of courtship. And uh, he rolled his eyes and he says, you know, that sounds pretty dull. It doesn't sound very romantic. For most, they feel that maturity is becoming independent so that you can have your own way. Do your own thing. Live your own life. They want their own way. But the problem is, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And so if you choose your own way, you're just a fool. Deuteronomy 12.8, you shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Moses said to the children of Israel, your problem is you're just doing whatever you want. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. See, many think that courtship is about doing their own thing. Society tells us that in courtship you must follow your heart if you want to be happy. But Proverbs 28, 26 tells us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. To walk wisely is to be following Jesus, and that brings deliverance. And if you desire to follow Jesus, if you desire to walk wisely, you begin by what? Denying self. Denying yourself at the time of courtship is so important. Do you know the first widespread apostasy among God's people? It was here on the point of refusing to deny themselves in courtship. Notice. 
Genesis 6, 2. The antediluvians who had been of the royal, loyal line stopped following Christ about courtship time. The sons of God took wives, not as directed by God. They refused to deny themselves. No, they took wives for themselves of all whom, what's the next word? They chose. They foolishly followed their own hearts. The Spirit of God wrestled with them, urging them, not to make this mistake, urging them in a better path. The Spirit of God entreated them, but they resisted the Spirit. The Spirit tried to put the desire to follow Jesus in their hearts, but they would not receive this desire. They would not deny themselves in the area of courtship. They refused to follow Jesus at that point. And the next verse tells us what the result was. The Spirit of God was withdrawn from them. Imagine it, having a courtship, dating, that resulted in the loss of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him, Acts 5.32. When we disobey Him, the Holy Spirit withdraws. He will not force His presence if it's not desired. From a Spirit-filled testimony as young people, they move to a tame testimony. Why? They did their own thing when it came to dating. Their religion became one of form without power. Could homes without the Spirit of God have happiness? No. Genesis 6.11 tells us the predictable result. The earth was filled with violence. Disregarding God's plan in, in dating and courtship and marriage resulted in abusive homes. Finally, parents, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren all perished in the flood. Not one heeded the call to safety in the ark. There's a way of courtship that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Despite this early and clear record of the results of wrong courtship practices, this path away from God has remained well-traveled. Judges tells us, Judges 3, verse 5, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. And as the inevitable results of wrong courtship, the verse closes with the sorrowful words, they served their gods. If anyone will follow me, you deny yourself. If you don't deny yourself, you'll follow another god. They left God. The path they chose for courtship was the path they chose for life. They were not willing to deny themselves. They were not willing to wait on the Lord. And parents and children were united in this apostasy. They gave every excuse. They used every rationalization. Each thought their case was an exception. They did not deny themselves. God said, don't. They did it anyway. They didn't follow Jesus. From this general statement, the book of Judges then goes on to give a specific example. The story of Samson. Judges 14, verse 2. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Samson, wait a minute. Is this the direction you want your steps to take? Don't you desire to follow Jesus? Do you really think that your way is better than his? Do you really think this is the path to happiness? Do you want this woman to be the mother of your children? 
Can she raise your children to love and fear God? Will she help you heavenward? Will she keep your, you and your children from worshiping idols? When your children visit their parents or they visit your home, will they be a godly influence for your children? Visit her parents. Or her parents visit your home. What gifts will they give to your children? Does she understand healthy cooking? Is she, does she value modest dressing? Will she be economical with her needs but generous to advance God's cause? Will she encourage you to support God's worship in your time and in your means? Will she uh, join you in avoiding the sports and the entertainments of Philistia? Or will she try to bring these into Israel? Will you be able to pray with her day after day? Will she love the Psalms? Or will she fill the home not with the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual tunes, but with the Philistines' hit parade, top ten? Will she help you continue to deny yourself so you can continue to follow him? And so, his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? This question was the gentlest of appeals from God. Samson should have heard God speaking through his parents. We need to be alert to God's calls, just as we need to be alert for Satan's subtle temptations. We need to be watchful for God's cautions. That question was Samson's opportunity to deny himself, to follow Jesus, and save himself from all kinds of problems, failures, blindness, and finally a violent death. But Samson was unwilling to deny himself. He would not have the way of peace. He preferred his own way. Judges 14.3 And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. My pleasure, not God's pleasure. Reason, judgment, conscience, all ignored. If only we could see that self-denial is not a bad thing. Denial of self is a good thing. Following self is not a good thing. It is pleasing only for time. Self is our enemy. Self is what stands between me and following Jesus. And between me and happiness. The Bible is filled with warnings of the long-term damage of improper courtships. 1 Kings 11, 1 tells of King Solomon. He loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. He was broad-minded. Solomon, thou shalt not commit adultery. Solomon was out without excuse. He had his own father's example to warn him of the path he was taking. His older baby brother had died because of David's adultery. Solomon should have denied himself, but he refused. He indulged himself as his father David had done. This sin ruined his life and his kingdom. Instead of living to an old age, he died at the age of 58, old, worn out, used up. 
two years older than me. Do you want to ruin your life? Don't deny yourself during courtship. Refuse to follow Jesus. Those who will not deny themselves have lots of company through the centuries. Improper courtship has been a plague of God's people down through the ages. Nehemiah had to deal with it and tells about it in Nehemiah 13.23. He contended with them, he said, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him. He was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. That was Nehemiah. 13.26 Many people brought down would not deny themselves. Following Jesus begins with self-denial, but there's another important aspect of following Christ. Luke 9.23 If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And then what's the next uh, phrase? Take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, there are two aspects of following Christ. Let him deny himself throughout his courtship and take up his cross daily. The one is negative, deny yourself. The other is positive, take up your cross daily. The first is what you can't do and still follow Christ. The other is what you must do if you would follow Christ. If anyone desires to be a lawyer, let him go to law school and pass the state bar exam. If anyone desires to be a nurse, let him go to nursing school and pass the NCLEX. If anyone desires to be a physician, let him go to Loma Linda University and pass MCATs, national boards. And if anyone desires to follow Christ throughout courtship, let him deny himself take up his cross daily. There's no other way to be Christ's disciple as there is no other way to be a nurse. Try to go another path won't work. To follow Christ is not to lose anything in thy presence is fullness of joy. Self-denial involves three areas of life. The first area of self-denial is to resolutely refuse to indulge in anything that God's Word forbids. Joseph and Daniel stand as noble examples of young people choosing the royal road of self-denial. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me, but he what? Refused. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. This requires that we abandon any wrong habits of life that we may have acquired. I like how the contemporary English version translates Ephesians 4.22. You were told, Paul said, that your foolish desires will destroy you and that you must give up your old way of life with all its bad habits. We deny self. In the Garden of Eden, there was a tree with fruit that God forbade Adam and Eve to eat. But today there's no tree that God has commanded thou shalt not eat of. Instead, God's thou shalt not is found not in a tree but on a rock. Two tables of stone. Ten commandments. 
to refuse to do what God has forbidden we keep? That is, he's told us to value, know, obey the Ten Commandments. We refuse to do what God has forbidden in any one of them. But some says, oh, that's works. What a twisted concept. As if loving obedience to Jesus is bad and selfish disobedience is good. As if the goal of the gospel is not to change me, but to change God's law. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That's the gospel of Satan. It was first preached by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He said, then he says now, obedience is not necessary for eternal life. You can disobey God, but you will not die. But what is the gospel, the genuine gospel? Luke says that his gospel is, in Acts 1.1, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. For Luke, Luke's gospel is the Ten Commandments, since his gospel is about what Jesus did and said. And the clearest part is what he said in the Old Testament and wrote and in the New how he lived and taught. The clearest part of the gospel of the Ten Commandments is found in the fourth. It is the fourth, I think of this Friday evening. It's the fourth commandment. It is the only one of the ten that tells us how we can be like Jesus. In six days he did this, and then It's the one that points to him as our example. Now, refusing anything that God has forbidden also means that we renounce unholy ambition. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. We forsake worldly attractions, worldly activities, worldly recreations. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Come out from among them and be separate teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. In James 1.21 in the today's English version, I like, so get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts, which is able to save you. But denying self is not only to refuse forbidden pleasure, we also avoid excess in what is allowed. Let your moderation be known to all men, Philippians 4, 5. We are tempered in our habits. Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Whether we eat or drink, whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. But we not only deny ourselves forbidden worldly pleasure and avoid excess in the allowed, we follow Christ's example and willingly sacrifice even our good for others' necessities. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. To save a person's life, a physician will be willing to rob himself. To save a soul from sin, we as Christians, are we willing to be spent and spend our time, our money, and our strength to save a soul, are we willing to deny ourselves even if it means to follow Christ means 
that it appears we'll lose a relationship with someone we think we may love. Now, you see, sin holds us in bondage through two things, the pleasures of sin and the pains of duty. And the painful duty that we have to accept is following Jesus, even though that means rejection and reproach by others, financial loss, difficulties and hardships, and persecution. And that's the light burden we're called to carry. And there is further renunciation of self because we're called to carry the instrument that's going to kill us. You know, in Iraq under Saddam Hussein, you know what he, he required people to do? Pay for the bullets that he was going to use to execute them. The ultimate insult. And we carry our cross. We accept the painful duty. But even these burdens, God only allows because we need them for our character correction. Let's look now at the, the first step and what this means in courtship and uh, marriage, the ideal that God has for courtship and marriage. It's found in Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Before marriage, Adam had a home, Eden. His training had been completed. He had named the animals. And he had an occupation to tend and keep the Garden of Eden. And as marriage preparation, now Adam was called to self-denial. Immediately after that, God says to the man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You see, self-control, self-denial, self-discipline is at the heart of every part of God's system of life. Before we're prepared for marriage, and before Adam was prepared for marriage, he must deny himself. This self-denial for him was neither difficult nor unpleasant. But self-denial is not something that's optional in God's system of government. It's intrinsic to God's system. Self-denial was not an adaptation of the universe because of sin. It is part of God's original perfect plan. Among the loyal heavenly host, self-denial is not a burden, it's a joy. It is sin that has made self-denial burdensome. Satan was unwilling to die, deny himself, and he led angels to not deny themselves. And he offers man a life free of self-denial, a courtship free of restrictions. He offers a courtship plan where each can do his own thing. He offers a plan where each is seeking to please himself. And he falsely portrays self-denial to be part of God's arbitrary and unreasonable restriction. Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. You see, in God's plan, each seeks to please another. For even Christ did not please himself, Romans 15.3. Self-denial is not arbitrary. It's a necessity. My freedom ends for your nose begins. Happiness and peace in this life and in heaven come with self-denial. If anyone desires to follow Jesus, he says, let him what? Deny himself. That's the only way to be happy during worship and marriage. That's God's ideal. 
Adam was not quite ready for marriage, but he was now ready for courtship. And so God then gave him the next step of an ideal courtship. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. He must first go to sleep. In this case, it was a deep sleep. In the Bible sign language, sleep represents complete trust in God, resting in his love, Psalm 48, 8 in the Amplified. It says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you, Lord, alone make me dwell in safety and confident trust. We trust him without demanding, complaining, or anxiety. We rest in him. We know he is aware of our needs. We trust his time. We trust his way. We're asleep. God has placed his ideal for courtship in this story, but this is a pattern of Scripture. Boaz was awakened from sleep when he realized he should marry Ruth. Notice the wording in the New Testament on Joseph, Matthew 1.24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. This is a pattern. Adam was now ready to be married. He had a home. His basic training for his occupation was completed. He had an opportunity for self-denial, and he went to sleep completely trusting in God for his needs. That is God's ideal pattern. And while he was asleep, God prepared Adam's wife. Genesis 2.22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And he wants to do this for us. He wants to be introducing quality men to quality women. He created the idea of a family, and he loves to see his ideal reached. The same God who brought Isaac and Rebekah together, Boaz and Ruth together, Joseph and Mary together, is bringing people together today. He has an ideal plan for you. Before you are ready for marriage, God wants you to have a house to live in, basic training completed, and occupation, practice, and self-denial. If you have these things, go to sleep. Absolutely trust in the Lord to guide you and provide for you. Do not be anxious. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, God's ideal, able to support a family, self-control, total trust in God. Now I'd like you to look at Satan's ideal and how he leads. This is how God leads. Here is Satan's ideal. Brings us to an interesting statement in Adventist homepage 84. Many marriages can be productive of what? Misery. And this says many marriages can only be productive of misery. Perfectly predictable. A prophet here is addressing dating and courtship. She looked with distress on couples that were dating who could only be miserable if they were married. Even though they were going to be miserable married, their girlfriend, their boyfriend was all they could think about. Why? Yet the minds of the youth run in this channel. Why? Because Satan leads them there. Instead of being guided by Jesus, these courtships are guided by who? Satan. 
If Satan guides them, they'll end up like their guide, miserable. His promise of happiness is a lie. To be happy, you follow Jesus. Now, how does Satan guide? He guides through the beliefs. This is how Jesus guides. This is how Satan guides. Jesus guides through our beliefs. That is why we must know and believe the truth. But Satan guides through a falsehood, a belief that they must be married if they want to be happy. All kinds of people around are satanic guides. They're well-meaning, perhaps. They may be sincere, but they're Satan's helpers. The adult that asks the child, who's your boyfriend or girlfriend? Five years old. Imagine asking that to a child, but it's done all the time. Parents will badger their child into finding a life's partner. Find them quick. Your opportunity will soon be gone. Dress to attract their attention, or you may miss the opportunity. Go to where the opposite sex is. Participate in in activities where they'll be so you can find your man or woman. Above all things, don't ever be an old maid. Let me repeat, and repeat it to yourself. You don't have to be married to be happy. Do you have to be married to be fulfilled and happy? No. Don't participate in lies. Don't repeat them. Don't believe them. Satan isn't limited to one lie. He is not only telling people a lie about happiness after they die. He is telling lies about happiness while they live. It is a lie of Satan that marriages somehow are necessary for happiness. What is the problem here? There's a lack of faith, a failure to trust God. They are not asleep. And Satan leads us to doubt God's love. Satan leads them, it says, making them believe that they must be married in order to be happy when they have not the ability to control themselves. He wants those without self-control, those who do not deny themselves, to think they are ready for marriage. More than that, he wants them to be in anxiety on the subject, impatient to get married. And of course, the problem to begin with is that they can't control themselves, and so marriage happens to them. They can't stop it. Uh, They have no brakes. Imagine a car with a throttle, but no brakes, except the heart brakes that come from the crashing stop. See, that's why in God's system there has to be brakes. Self-denial. It's his way of happiness. And Satan leads them that they must be married in order to be happy when they have not the ability to control themselves or support a family. Satan's ideal, you see, is the opposites of God's ideal. Satan leads them to believe in impossibility. They believe that they must be married to be happy, but they can't be happy married because they don't have the basic self-discipline, self-control, self-denial, and they can't support a family. Excuse me. And that's God's great problem. The very people who lack self-control, the very people who don't deny themselves, are the very ones who will not deny themselves or control themselves in waiting for God's person, God's timing in marriage. I can state with assurance of God's word, if you cannot support a family, if you do not have self-denial, if you are not asleep, that is, trusting in God completely to supply your needs, you are being led by Satan if you are dating or considering dating at this time. Do you want God to lead in your life? 
Focus your life on the opportunities he provides day by day to practice the godlike skill of self-denial. Gain a knowledge and skills necessary to support a family. Are you willing to trust him implicitly with your future? Are you willing to go to sleep, deep sleep, leaving all in his hands, safe in the arms of Jesus? Some people find this a fearful thought. It ought to be a fearful thought if we don't leave it in his hands, folks. You want to say, God, I offer you myself. I don't want to withhold anything from you. Use me today in your service. We just tell God in your mind. If this is your commitment, be prepared to be told by well-meaning friends, parents, pastors, teachers that following Christ's way is the way to be an old maid, never finding a spouse. Many people want to be Christians, but they will not deny themselves during the courtship period. They are fearful. They are afraid they will lose their boyfriend or lose their girlfriends. But if following Christ means I will be single, that's okay. My desire is to follow where he leads. Following Christ means he chooses the destination. I don't. I simply trust his guidance, knowing that he is more concerned about my happiness than I am and that he knows better than I do what's for my good. Others are afraid to follow Jesus for fear they will be considered odd or extreme. They're willing to take up the cross as long as it doesn't have to be carried very far. As long as they can carry it where no one sees them. But few are willing to be disciples of Jesus, deny themselves and carry his cross. If following Jesus simply means to go to church every week, there are thousands of courtships that are following Christ. If following Jesus simply means to make sure your courtship ends in the church wedding, there are thousands of courting couples that are following Christ. But if following Christ in dating means to deny yourself and take up your cross, there aren't many following Christ in their dating. To let him decide who I am to court, to let him decide how I am to court, to let him dis to decide when I should court, to deny myself and follow him, is that frightening? No. Is it strange or extreme to follow Christ in our dates? No, folk, anything else is. Following Jesus demands a full commitment. If you're a soldier in Iraq, is there ever a time when you can be off your guard? No. Always alert, always in danger to be enforcing the law, to be doing right and hated because of it, to be an alien of the country, not a citizen. That's the Christian in this world. A soldier for Christ, always in uniform. If this is your desire, will you sing for our closing hymn, hymn 623, I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoever my lot may be. Where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord, I'll follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoe'er my lot may be. Where thou goest, I will follow, yes, my Lord, I'll follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior, thou didst shed thy blood for me. 
And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Women. Everyone, I will follow thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed thy blood for me, and though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Men, though I meet with tribulations, sorely tempted though I be, I remember thou wast tempted and rejoice to follow thee all. I will follow thee, my Savior, thou didst save thy blood for me. And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee a cappello. Though thou leads me through affliction, poor forsaken though I be, thou wast destitute afflicted, and I only follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior, Thou didst shed thy blood for me, and though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Though to Jordan's rolling billows, cold and deep thou leadest me, thou hast crossed the waves before me, and I still will follow thee. I will follow thee, my Savior. Thou didst shed thy blood for me. And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace I'll follow thee. Shall we stand for prayer? Father in heaven, we've made solemn commitments. We desire to follow you. And you said, if anyone desires, let him. Let him deny himself, and take up the cross and follow. And it's your invitation that we come and follow you through a, a safe path. One, there's a guide that we can trust. One who has our happiness in mind. One who will bring us only that which we need. Who will allow only that which is what for our best good. One whose happiness is in our joy. Oh, Lord, thank you for a God that's like our God. We want to be like him. As we continue our study, I pray that you will send your spirit to move on hearts. Make, make us ready for your plan in courtship and marriage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.